there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Okay, welcome to the program. Sorry about the echo, everybody, but I'm in a big, large, cavernous room. And um, my name's Steve Mascord. Welcome to the show. And our first guest is from the reformed horsehead, Cameron. How are you? Good, Steve. Wow. Huge. I mean, where do, where do we start? You sat, you've done a lot of interviews, and I bet everyone's asked you to um, go through the story about the reformation and re... Um, release of your back catalogue. So, since that's the most boring and predictable question, um, I'll start with that one. Um, uh, where did? That's just fine. I, it's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I've let you down there. It's a reasonable question. I, 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 there seems to be a bit of delay, but I'll just get into it. Um, basically, we were, you know, uh, before we embarked on this little exercise. You couldn't really listen to our material anywhere. The albums weren't available. Uh, you couldn't go anywhere online and, and find and find our presence properly. There was one or two tunes here and there and a little bit of YouTube action. But there was another band in America called Horsehead that, you know, probably now defunct and, and they were nothing like us. And um, uh, so for my... When, when uh, Golden Robot Records came out of the woodwork and said, we want to do a box set, you know, re-release of all your material. I, I was excited by the idea that we were going to get everything in one place, coalesce it all, and digitally be, you know, available on all the different streaming platforms. And that way, people could discover us in 100 years' time. I know it's a ridiculous thought, but at least we would be preserved. And um, uh, so so that was, was my initial desire to, to kind of... To get this to get this thing done, and um, now we have finally achieved it. It took about two years, mm. and uh, in the meantime, we've kind of created or recreated a lot of the artwork. We've re-released some, we've released some tunes that we never released in the first place um, for hunters who remember them. And uh, you know, we're hearing stories all the time of people saying, "Finally, I've got my version of that song," you know, mm. that never made it to a record. Mm. Uh, so that's nice. It's about seventy odd songs. Um, that are in this catalogue, and um, and now it's all kind of collated and put together. So this, that's this, that story. This might be a boring question for the listeners, but it interests me anyway. Um, it, it, what was the legal status of all these songs? Like, were they just sitting there? Was there a lot of negotiating necessary to, to, to get the, your rights to your own music, or were they all just sitting there waiting to be released when someone could be bothered? No, it's very much. Um, it was very much in play how we were going to do that, mm. um, and so we had deals with various different entities um, over various different works, um, and then how were we going to? How was Golden Ro- Robot Records going to be able to get in, involved in the action for what it was going to deliver, um, and? I wasn't privy to all the conversations uh, between Golden Robot Records and the entities, mm. uh, but basically everybody was happy for us to, to embark on this and no one was silly about it. And, um, you know, the various entities will get their end um, if anything crazy happened and all of a sudden we became Anvil. Um, <laughs> <and>, uh, <laughs> Rook, it's Godzilla. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, just and this is an, another show, another show. This is another question that everyone's asking you, and I apologise for asking it again, but I have to ask. Just one show with a question mark at the end. I mean, why, why not more shows? Uh, what's 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 to go there? That, oh, by the way, if you if you're listening, uh, if you're thinking of going, it's I think February one at the Corner Hotel, and it's pretty much sold out. Yeah, it's um, it's there's still tickets available. Mm. Um, but it'll probably be pretty full by the mm-hmm. time we get to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't done really much promotion for it. We've just done Facebook promotion. And I, I, we ask ourselves the question, is that getting to everybody who would be interested in this? And I, mm-hmm. I feel like it, it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe we're just... There's a whole circles out there that wouldn't, wouldn't know. But um, we just thought... Uh, we, didn't, we didn't want to go on tour. That's sort of silly. Uh, we, it's not, we're, not, we're not a big enough act to sustain touring, mm. you know. It's not like we had hit after hit mm. in the 90s um, and where we could kind of have good turnouts in rooms all over the country. It's a Melbourne-Sydney thing. I mean, you know, there are people who have found us as the years have rolled on, but we're talking a 1,000 people. We're not talking 50,000 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, it's like, it's, you know, they're, 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 we've got very, very strong fans, mm. but not a massive amount of them. Yeah. So, uh, as opposed to kind of um, diluting the effect, uh, let's, <laughs> let's have one show and make it an absolute event and, um, and have a really great time and um, make it exciting and uh, put all our eggs in one basket. And, um, you know, we're... Now that we're up and running, if there's a bit of demand, I'm sure there's scope for us to, you know, there's talk of possibly getting one done in Sydney. Awesome. Um, You know, um, but there's a lot of people travelling down to Melbourne for this show because it may not eventuate. So anybody who was like, I have to see that band again, they're sort of coming to this show, and that's good. That's the way we want it. If you're listening in Anchorage, Alaska, this is your one chance to get to Melbourne and um, and see Horsehead. Let's have a song. Well, you mean I may as well start with oil and water. Awesome. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, this, the the, um, the 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 premise behind the song and um, and and how it's how you think it's aged? And obviously, it's about well, it, not obviously, but it is about the mixture of art and commerce, isn't it? Which I imagine you've had thirty years to ruminate upon since it, this song first was written. Yeah. Well. I... I think I might have ruminated on it so much at the time that I didn't have to ruminate it on it the last 30 years. Um, and, and, uh, <laughs> but um, I wrote that song sitting on the edge of a bed in a hotel room in New York City where we were uh, invited to go by um, a record company in America back at, before we even got our first deal and before we'd even completed writing our first album. And... Um, uh, and Obviously, I was in the throes of thinking about that stuff. And when I look back on, on a lot of the um, interviews and stuff that we did when we were kind of going over them to put this album, um, this box set together, um, there's obviously a strong vein in our thought processes, which is basically, fuck the establishment, we're going to do what we want. Mm. And um, I kind of, you forget that over the years. You don't kind of, you don't brood on that stuff, but it's very, very plain and obvious for us to see, and this song is uh, typical of that. 
of that thought process and the struggle. You want to be, you know, you want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You want to be famous, but you also don't want to be manipulated. Back to White Line Fever. My name's Steve Mascot, and this is the third part of our interview with Danko Jones. I want to thank him for joining us uh, this evening. Now, Danko, you've you've made some headlines recently with your thoughts as a Kiss fan. I'm a massive Kiss fan, and there's a lot of Kiss fans in bands around around the world. Um, there was one though. I think it was a, um, an Italian interview where you said that um, the end of the road tour was a misstep, and they didn't get you to expand on that. <laughs> 
they just let it sort of go through to the keeper. Um, I just wondered if you could expand on that. Why why you think it's a misstep? Geez, I can't really recall the context. I, I know I, I, I know the interview, and mm. in the interview, I know Blabbermouth ran with a story about how I thought, you know, there's nothing wrong with Paul Stanley lip-syncing. Mm. Um, but there's been a lot of these clips that Blabbermouth has taken from, and it's only about Greta Van Fleet and Kiss. Um, <laughs> but uh, it just shows you where the state of rock is these days. But... Um, it, the end of the road is is a misstep. I don't know. It's just, if anything, it's just three year tour that's like a long goodbye. And they did a farewell tour twenty years ago. And I don't know. It. I, I think it's. I, I don't know. I, you'd have to. I'd have to read or or watch the interview again to <laughs> understand the context of that quote. Yeah. But, I mean, I didn't go to the end-of-the-road Toronto date. Mm. I didn't even know it was happening. Someone mm. texted me when I was at home going, are you here? Because mm. <laughs> they were at the show. And I go, no, I'm not here. I'm not, wait, where? Where are you? And they, they said, uh, at the Kiss show. Does and, it make uh, you sad that you may no. never see Kiss again? It's, sorry? Does it make you sad that you may never see Kiss again? No. All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all. No, I, I, I it, it's, it, I, I, I don't feel any sadness towards it. I mean, there, it's half Gene and Paul, anyways, right? And mm. Tommy and Eric do a great job, but it's like half the original guys and the original four is the band that I fell in love with when I was a kid. So mm. it's been like that for decades, on and off. So I, I, I don't know. It's a band that's gone through so many eras. The era of them not being around might be an interesting era to to live through as well. Yeah, yeah. I read an, um, another interview just you going back and talking about your um, you know, the, the various albums and how you ranked the albums um, that you've done. And you said that you know during uh, the recording of Rock and Roll is Black and Blue, there was there was lots of tension. I, I just wondered, can you give people tips? Like a lot of people work in close quarters with one or two other people and they see them every day and it's it's a difficult thing even if you start off being um, um, really close friends. Oh, I just wanted, maybe you'd be one of the best people to give advice on, on keeping those sort of relationships uh, going and, 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 and maintaining them and making sure they still function. Um, any any advice for the, for the listeners? Uh, well, let's see how me and JC have been together in this band since day one. Mm. And uh, I think I think it's easy to see that we're different people, different kinds of people, different personalities. But we make this happen in close quarters, like you said, um, because there's a mutual respect, and one doesn't try to go in on the other's kind of sort of boundaries. Mm. Like for example, he does a lot of the managerial and administrative side of things, and I don't. I don't try and, you know, become the, the, the cook in the kitchen trying to screw up what he's got going. And I do a lot of the interviews and I do, you know, that kind of thing. And he doesn't try to jump in there and take over doing the interviews if he doesn't have to. So there's a, there, so there's a mutual respect there in terms of working together. I think that's a great way to keep things going, you know. Yep. And yep. plus, don't be a dick. I mean, <laughs> that's really a big rule to follow is don't be a dick. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of times when you work in close quarters that 
you forget some of these lines get blurred just due to being around someone for so long. Yeah, yeah, you end yeah. Up being a dick, you know. So you do end up acting like a dick, or and it just builds up and up and up. So it's such a simple rule: don't be a dick and and just know your place. Yeah, yeah. I had a bunch of heaps of other questions written down here, Danko, but we are almost out of time. We've got uh, about three minutes left. Um, for the podcast part of this interview, um, we also talk about um, a bit of sport. We talk about specifically rugby and rugby league. And I just wondered, as a Torontonian, have you even heard of the Toronto Wolfpack? Do you know who they are? No. See, that's, go. see going back to your last question, that's... Uh, JC's really into sports, and I'm not. <laughs> so he would answer that question, and I wouldn't, you know. Yeah, I've never yeah. heard of them. Is that a rugby team? Yeah, they play their home games in Toronto and their away, and their away games in England, which is pretty extravagant. So, uh, yeah. They, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, That's yeah. It's a, good, it's a good day out if you like a, a beer in the sun. They play at Lamport in Liberty uh, Village. So um, Yeah, I know Lamport. I used to live near Lamport Stadium. Well, there you go. There you go. So um, you don't even have to like yeah. sports. You can turn your back on the field and just drink craft beer if you want to, you know. <laughs> oh, that was that was years ago I, I lived there. I don't live there anymore. Well, Danko, as I said, we only scratch the surface from the point of view of uh, me and the questions I've been saving up. Um, but I want to thank you for your time. And can we have one more song? How about we listen to um, I'm in a Band, the first track off a Rock Supreme, our new album. I'm in a band and I love it I'm in a band and I love it All I wanna do is play my guitar and rock and roll When I hear speakers pushing the air There's nothing better, you can feel it, it's addicting, I swear
or just wound too tight You might think I'm crazy Oh, you might be right You might just be right You might just be right Just plug me in and I'll kick it All I wanna do is jam with my band and Hit the road, baby Okay, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to White Line Fever, second part of our interview uh, with Stevie D from Buckcherry. Stevie, I was um, here here in London a, a week ago at Australia House, which is like the embassy, and I was uh, trying to convince people there that the most influential Australian of all time is Angus Young. I'm sure you will agree. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you actually met Angus. Can you tell us a little bit about the circumstances there? Oh, man. Uh, you know, for me... He's, you know, ground zero, obviously, for rock and roll in Australia, uh, the whole band. And uh, I've been a huge fan since I started playing guitar. And um, I'd never met him. And uh, I guess, the you know, the band, Buck Cherry had toured with ACDC before I got in the band, I think in the late 90s. And uh, anyway, you know, I still, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I have not stopped listening, I've not stopped learning, I've not stopped, you know, worshipping Angus, and I met him a couple, a couple, three years ago, uh, we all were rehearsing at the same place, and, uh, and that was, you know, like, I, it, it, it's no secret that I played a lot of SGs and his guitar choice, so, um, you know, I, 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 I one of the uh, managers over there at, uh, uh, third encore that was the rehearsal place and he said Stevie you know Angus is sitting right there on the other side of that fence and I was like oh man you know so I uh, I, I went over there and and they, I got introduced and I I really found it difficult to speak <laughs> I got I got really nervous and uh, you know he's a he's a great conversationalist and he'll probably, you know, he knows a lot about American politics, and and uh, and I just, I couldn't get in the game. I was just so nervous, and uh, so I, you know, like I, you know, he even started talking about guitars, and uh, you know, I, and that's something I know a lot about too, and, and I couldn't even 
really find a rhythm is just like, uh, yeah, those guitars are awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and then I walked away, you know, we took pictures and then I walked away thinking I was the biggest idiot and, uh, I missed my chance to make a good impression and I'm, you know, but whatever, you know, like I, I think I'll, I'm sure I'll meet them again. They're going to be on the road, uh, 2020, I think. Mm, yes. Maybe 2021. So, uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again and I'll be a little bit more relaxed, you know. So, we'll see. <laughs> That's a good story. Um, I'm hopeful. <laughs> I just, I, you know, with, with, um, you kind of taking on more responsibility with Keith uh, Nelson leaving, oh, I, it's, it's, I, yeah, I, I wonder say, if. Say again? I said, with you taking on more responsibility on this album, I just wondered how, yeah. how would you say your songwriting with Josh differs? From Keith writing with Josh, I mean, is there, you know, would you, how would you describe the difference in the sound and the melodies and what you're trying to achieve? Well, you know, I, I think with the uh, keeping the spirit of, you know, keeping the spirit and the sound and the integrity of Buck Cherry intact, keeping that in mind, uh, being mindful of that, going into the sound, uh, songwriting process, uh, I don't. It's not going to be that different, you know what I mean, uh, mm. inherently. But there are, since we are different guitar players um, and have, uh, we're both rock guitar players, but we we, 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 we differ stylistically. So I, I think you're going to hear, you know, the difference is, differences in previous albums and Warpaint. Uh, I think you're just going to hear it in the guitar playing. Uh, there's also different, you know, guitar players, uh, and, and a different drummer and, uh, maybe a different bass player, but, you know, the common thread's going to be Josh and it's going to sound like Buck Sherry, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think the songwriting process, uh, we got on a different rhythm of things than I think, uh, uh, Keith and Josh did. We did, we did a lot of, um. Uh, the way we find found our songwriting language is kind of on the road and under the gun. You know, mm-hmm. like we, we started writing for uh, uh, his skate company, uh, Spray Gun War, and then we turned that we released a little EP for that, and then we started writing songs for uh, Josh Todd the Conflict, and it was all in hotel rooms in the back lounge of the bus and. In, you know, uh, in my laundry room at my, my old house. So, um, I think our process is quicker, um, uh, only by necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have, uh, a lot of times after the first album, uh, well, after the 15 album, we had time to sit and, uh, in a studio and create, you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's but, have another uh, song. Stevie, let's have another song. What can we play? How about Thunderstruck? My ACD. <laughs>
everybody, this is Bob Cutley from Magnum and Aventasia, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to White Line Fever, the final uh, part of our interview with Bob Catley. want to thank him for his time. And actually, in the la- if you're listening to the last episode, he requested a song from a storyteller's night and asked if we had it. And that brings me to the question about Goodnight LA. Couldn't find that on any streaming service. Had to go to YouTube to listen to it. What's the story with the rights of uh, Goodnight LA? Why, why isn't it on Spotify, uh, Bob? Why isn't it on Spotify? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I don't know. <laughs> That's the answer. I have no idea. Uh, you better ask uh, Polydor, I think, or Polygram, whatever they're called now. Um, that album we recorded in 1990 in America with Keith Olsen. Uh, so, uh, so some of the Polydor stuff that we did is is no longer around. Is that uh, I think some of those records have been deleted. Mm. Uh, that may be the case with this one, right? But I couldn't, I couldn't swear to that. But that's all I can think of. If it's not on Spotify, then it, it doesn't exist. I mean, I, I tried to look for a copy of Wings of Heaven uh, the other day, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Only on like eBay, like secondhand. Uh, so, and I think that's a shame that those records don't exist anymore. It's terrible. Um, I, 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 you've really got me on that one. Yeah. Okay, another question. Uh, I've, I've written out a page, and we haven't really got through too many of the questions. Um, but um, we lost uh, Paul Raymond the other day, and I just wondered. Um, um, you know, that was in the middle of a farewell uh, tour for uh, for UFO. Um, I, I wondered. I wondered. I like. I guess Magnum. When you every time you bring out a new Magnum record, or you go on a Magnum tour, uh, people ask, "Would you ever retire?" Um, I mean, um, how does what's the current answer to that question? Would you because you've already done a farewell tour? It was a good sort of twenty years ago now. Um, so uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was uh, that was twenty years ago. But mm. but, uh, but uh, we came back uh, because we, people were saying, "Would you like to put the band back together?" Uh, record companies and people so we did uh, but retiring isn't a word that's uh, in my vocabulary uh, as long as uh, you're still relevant for your fans and for people to uh, who want to you to exist as a, as an entity then you keep going uh, as long as you want to mm. uh, as long as you're still enjoying it and as long as you're physically able to do it uh, at my tender age now um it's, I don't, me and Tony don't think about it. We just keep going. It's what we do on a daily basis. And age is just the number. And uh, Magnum will live forever, I, mm. I believe, because that's what people want us to do. And uh, that's the answer. But you, mm. you have to be wanted, and we are wanted. Mm. Uh, and I think we have a new lease of life with our new lineup now. Um, and so anything is possible and never say never. Mm. I don't want to retire. I wouldn't mm. know what to do with that <laughs> <word>. <laughs> Okay. Bob, thanks for being so gracious and for giving such expansive answers. One one more uh, song. Thank you. All right. Uh, can you play a song from our last album uh, called Crazy Old Mothers?
walk in the shadows You gave in too soon An endless procession that follows the moon You wake up each morning Same every day Your life feels so empty Don't throw it away Just passing by All these things won't make you better And bad news still makes you cry
Welcome back to White Light Fever. You heard him on the last episode and he is back. It's Kurt Vanderhoof from Metal Church. Welcome back, Kurt. Um, great to be back. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of uh, radio. Um, the um, I just wondered, um, you would read a lot about the band's legacy and, and about when you came along and what was happening in thrash and metal at the time. Um, but I also would imagine that you'd have a, an opinion yourself of, of where, where you all fit in and, and how often you hear yourself when you listen to bands. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and if you were asked to sum up the band's influence, what, what, would, you, what would you say? Uh, Metal Church's influence on other bands and younger bands, you mean? Yeah, and, and the genre generally, you know. Uh, boy, I don't know. I guess maybe we would, since we were kind of part of the thrash movement, but we weren't really thrash. We were kind of thrashy. There was a great review once in uh, Sounds, or NME, some, in one of the English papers, right when we were just signing our first record deal. The first album just came out. Yep. And it was a, they called us, a, they named us a phrase that to this day I really, really liked. And this was what they said, and I kind of really, we all kind of went, that's cool. They called us thinking man's death metal. <laughs> <laughs> death metal for the living. <laughs> at, the time, at the time, death metal didn't mean what it means now. Mm-hmm. So basically what it was, and I kind of took that to be, yeah, we're, you know, it's metal and we're thrashy and stuff, but we're, we don't want to be stupid, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, looking back when you're kids, maybe I can see some of the stuff we thought about or saying we might be kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, at the time, it was we were kids. We were full of energy. We were immortal. We were kind of trying to evoke an image, you know, horror movie mentality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but that was one thing I think maybe as far as the thrash influence concerned, we were more on the melodic side of things. Mm-hmm. And I think if modern bands kind of dig into our catalog, they'll find that to be fairly consistent throughout our career. Mm. That we were heavy and very riff-oriented, and I always tried to keep it as musical as possible. Mm. Always had to have a singer who actually sang mm. notes and melody and things like that. So those kinds of things were always very important to me. And, and the memorable riff. Mm. And don't don't play so fast that it just sounds like you know a four minute tantrum. <laughs> you know, it's got it's got to be musical, and I think I, I hope that that's what's translated, and maybe we've influenced new bands in that direction. That would be great if it's, that's the case. Do you think you found your level, or do you, or are there some sliding doors moments you look back on that if you had it gone a certain way, then it really really could have blown up? for the band and oh, yeah I, I get that frequently you know when I left the band and then we had to fire Dave hmm. you know I mean but that was just there was just no choice there was no going forward at that point so yeah I mean if we didn't have lineup changes I'm sure we would have gotten a lot bigger hmm. and a lot of people say that but at the same time you deal the hand you're dealt you know there was no going forward with Dave in the condition he was in and I really really you know after doing the dark and really working in the studio properly for the first time my passion and desire started really getting into the engineering, producing, and learning how to make records and working in the studio. And I didn't want to spend my time on the road. I mean, I love gigging and all that kind of stuff, but I got to be honest, being on tour, you know, for months at a time, you know, there's, that's why people are alcoholics and drug addicts, because there's nothing to do. Yeah. You know, the show's great. You know, the two and a half, three hours that you're preparing for the show, playing the show, and then after that, you've got, you know, 20 hours a day for months, but you don't have anything to do, mm. you know, and that just drove me nuts. 
Mm. And sometimes it does drive me nuts, but we don't tour in the same capacity as we did, you know, as we did then. Mm. But you know, those kinds of things, I found myself really wanting to be productive more. Mm. I wanted to learn to make records, and actually, I'm glad I did in the sense that this has allowed me to continue in my career now and still make records because I make the records now and I have for a long time. And that's my real passion, and that's why I do other projects and other styles and make other records and write other kinds of things. I love music, and I love creating music, and I love recording and making records and that kind of thing. So for me, that was my path. Mm. You know, after we did after we did the you know Metallica tour, you know, we toured on the dark. I knew for me personally, I had to go a different direction. Again, you know, as everybody knows, I stayed involved with writing and working in the studio with everybody, and that was great. But that was my direction, and I don't regret it for a bit. I don't regret it. Okay, let's have another song, Kurt. What uh, What do you want to play? What do you want to have an old one or a new one? It's your call. I guess we're going to have an old one at some point. <laughs> yeah, let's have an old one. Let's uh, play Beyond the Black. <laughs>
Huh? Got a white line fever. Going to run, land down under. Going to turn around the corner, way down yonder. <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. And you get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.